0: Turn with me, would you, to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is where we're going to be at, so you can follow along with me in your Bibles. Um, You can also, of course, read along um, on the the screen during the reading. Psalm 8 um, is one of the 150 psalms in our English Bibles, um, one of my favorite song psalms, actually, uh, one that I, I remember reading when I was very young and just thinking how amazing this message and this truth is for us. And so today, this morning, I want to... Um, I want us to go through this psalm together and just maybe explore a couple of themes and see what difference this psalm might make to our own lives. So, would you um, follow along with me as I read aloud Psalm 8 to the choir master according to the Gittith, a psalm of David. whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage today, God, we want to be humble. Um, Humble us and allow us, God, to to, uh, be uh, submissive to what you want to speak to us. Um, about through this passage of Scripture. Humble us, God. Give us also insight, understanding, God, so we'll, we'll know what it is that we're reading. We'll, we'll have an understanding of it, um, not just for our minds and only, but also for our hearts to understand what the message of this psalm is trying to communicate to us. And, and, what it means to our own lives. And then God, we ask that your Holy Spirit will give us power. Give us power, God, to walk out of this place, to, to scatter throughout our community as your church but with the power to put into action what it is that you tell us today. God, we love you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what uh, before, we, before we look at this passage, um, I wanted to uh, um, bring up something that uh, you probably most of you um, have become somewhat aware of, especially if you're on social media like me, and that's where you get all your news from. Um, but there's been this great outcry recently, hasn't there, um, about the killing of a lion? You heard about that? This lion got killed. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, I try not to dig too deep into that. But there's a whole lot of people saying, how dare this individual slaughter this lion who, who actually had a name, apparently. Anyone remember his name? Cecil? Okay. Cecil, Cecil, Cecil. Okay. So he had a name, and he, and he was killed. At the same time, um, you probably are aware that over the last few weeks, there have been four, now four different expose videos uh, revealing the kind of thing that the organization Planned Parenthood do, does to little unborn babies. Kills them in the womb, and then brings them out and then harvests their little organs and parts and sends them off to companies so they can re- do research and whatever they do with them, right? It's um, shocking to me the contrast between the two. The outrage on one hand uh, about the killing of a lion with a, who had a name and how many people are so upset about that, and how the media, etc., has latched onto that story, whereas there's almost complete denial in other circles about what's going on to thousands of unborn babies, week after week, year after year, and what's been what's been, being done to those tiny little infants. This passage here this morning, Psalm 8, tells us this. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. God has given humanity such glory, such amazing value, yet our world is upside down. It has put the sheep and the oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, above humanity, above that one who is crowned with glory and honor. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> why is it upside down? Why, is, why are things not the way God intended them to be? What's the answer to that? What's the answer to that question? I think the answer to that question is by uh, by joining David or the the writer. uh, Maybe it was somebody who wrote it in honor of David or in, in the manner like David wrote it. But it may as well have been David. I can imagine David. Um, looking up into the skies at night as he's out there watching his sheep. He was a young man as a shepherd. And I can, I can imagine him looking into the heavens, seeing the moon and the stars and thinking, look at this, look at what God has done. And yet, you have created humanity, mankind, men and women, children, infants and babies. You have given them such Glory, such position in your creation. And what does he do to begin this psalm? This psalm that reflects on the glory of man, the glory of humanity. He points his attention to the majesty of God. The majesty of God. See, there are a lot of people who have been trying to, to, to propagate some ideas in our culture for the last 150 to 200 years. In fact, you could even go all the way back maybe five or 600 years who have, who have wanted to glory in humanity but have decided not to give majesty to God. So they want to reflect on how great we are as human beings but completely ignore The majesty of God. What has that resulted in? What has that resulted in in our culture? When we lose the majesty of God, ultimately we're going to lose the glory of humanity. So what what does David do? He says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He points his attention to his God. His one and only God. O Lord, he says. O Lord, in our English Bibles, in our English translations, that word Lord is in these lower caps. You see that in your Bibles? O Lord, all capital letters, O-R-D, are usually a little bit lower, right? Why the difference there? Because the English Bibles are trying to translate that word Yahweh. That word Yahweh. God's personal name. And so they use these, they use the word Lord. Uh, It's it's kind of got a complicated history because, see, the ancient Israelites, um, they got to a point where they said, we don't want to say the name of God in vain. We don't want to say Yahweh in vain. So let's just substitute another word for it. So every time we see that word Yahweh in our Bibles, we'll, we'll speak another name, lest we speak his name in vain. And so eventually that's kind of got back, got into our English Bibles as Lord. And so we say, Oh Lord, Yahweh... Our Lord. And then there's Lord with the lowercase letters. And that, that is that, that Hebrew word Adonai. So we've got Yahweh and we've got Adonai. And this word Adonai we use for Lord, Master. You're in charge. So, so David is recognizing that here is our personal God that I am speaking to. That I am giving majesty to who is also our Master who's also our personal lord he's in charge and his name is majestic in all the earth his name yahweh is majestic in all the earth why would that kind of attention to why would that kind of attention to god and his majesty be an answer for the problems of an upside-down world, where we have, we have, ironically elevated the glory of humanity, and in so doing, lost our value for humanity, lost our value of human life. I think the um, I think the answer comes further in the passage. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger, the enemy and the avenger, the foes. These are those who are against God and His ways. How many of you have encountered something like a someone like that, either personally or uh, have seen that foe, that enemy, that avenger working counter to God's ways? In our culture. We've seen it, we see it all over the place. Sometimes you see it personally. Sometimes it's a personal acquaintance. Or it's a family member who says. I don't want anything to do with you. Because of your faith in Christ. Or we can talk about this. We can talk about that. But if you want to start talking about Jesus. I'm out of here. I don't want to hear it. They may not be plotting our demise. They may not be looking to uh, kill us, persecute us, arrest us. But the enemy and the avenger, the foes, are those that David understands they're working against God. They're working against his purposes. In fact, they're trying to turn things upside down instead of right side up the way that God intended it. And so how does God work? He works through babies and infants. <laughs> in other words, he works through weakness. He uses weakness to overcome his own enemies, to establish strength. How 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 might that work in our lives? When we are weak, when we are failing in uh, what in a task, um, when we recognize. We don't have what it takes to accomplish the mission. This week, um, this week, or past couple of weeks, of course, I was um, working with the National Guard, and the Army's motto, as you probably are well aware um, right now, the little motto or slogan or whatever is, Army Strong, right? It used to be, Be All You Can Be, and then it was an army of one, I'm not sure what that meant. Nobody was sure what that meant. And then it was army strong. Man, the army values strength. They value being physically strong, mentally strong, etc. But one of the things that we, we, we don't pay much attention to, I say we broadly as the army, is spiritual strength. Because oftentimes spiritual strength is found and, and, and accessed when our physical strength l- runs out. When our mental strength runs out. When our emotional strength runs out. And then, when, what are we left with? If we have no spiritual strength, if we have not a, a faith that is foundational for everything we're doing, we are, we're going to find that when we're weak, we're just weak. But Paul found, if you want to reference this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul found that when he is weak, then he is strong. Because God's grace is working in him. I found that interesting here in this passage. That God has set his glory above the heavens, that out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. It is weakness in the eyes of the world That God uses for His purposes. God uses because He gives grace. And then His glory is shown. When we can say, you know what, I'm beat down. But I'm still going to go on. You know what, things have not gone well. But I'm still going to keep my faith in Jesus. I keep messing up. I keep making the same mistakes. I keep sinning over and over and over again. But you know what? I'm going to keep going back to Jesus. I'm going to keep going back to the Lord. Because he's where my, gra- my grace is coming from. He's where my strength is coming from. The world can see that and can look at us and go, well, they're just weak. They, they need Jesus because they don't have whatever it takes. And we can say, you know what? That's right. We do need Jesus. We give Him glory. He establishes strength through our weakness. Isn't it amazing, though, as, as David goes on, verses 3 and 4, he says, When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of and the son of man that you care for him? It's amazing to look at all that the, the entire universe, and to, to see as far out as we can see, we've got, now we've got a satellite, what, flying past Pluto, and we've got this up close and personal picture of Pluto, and we're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And we can see the universe, and we can see the nebulae, and we can see black holes, or maybe we can't see them because you can't really see them because they're black. Um, but we see these things, that uh, there's something something going on there, and we see galaxies. And, and we have the capacity, the glory of the man, uh, glory of man ha, now has the capacity to see the universe in a way that David could, could never imagine seeing with his naked eyes standing on the surface of the earth. When we look at the heavens, and he says, It's the work of your fingers. God's fingers creating it. The moon and the stars, which you have. Set in place. Where he's put with his hand. And he's placed there. What is man? Why? Why would God consider us? That's what he's saying there. What is man? That you are mindful of him? That that you even fathom. That you even think about. That you actually remember mankind. Why would God remember us? Consider us. Be mindful of us. Why would he care for us? And just a tiny speck in the universe. David doesn't really answer it here, does he? <laughs> but I think we can, we can imply from what he says next. He says, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Uh, text note uh, in, the, in most of our English Bibles say, um, maybe it may a, lo- a little lower than uh, God or a little lower than the angels. There's um, different different uh, ancient texts that kind of match together and go, well, what does that mean? The English Standard Version said, "Just let's just say heavenly beings. Essentially saying, yet this tiny little speck on this tiny little insignificant planet on the far corner of the universe, you have made him a little less than God himself. You have given him what? God's image. Going all the way back to Genesis. David wasn't unaware of Genesis, the Genesis story when God said, let us create man in our image. Male and female we will create them. He crowned, them, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. Okay, hold it right there. Go, go back to verse 5 because we're going to get to that in a second. But Genesis 1, the image of God. He made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So, so why would God remember him? Why would God be mindful of these little tiny specks in the universe and in in, in, of all creation? Why would God think about us? Because He made us in His image. Because when He created Adam and Eve, He imbued them with the image of God. And that is passed on from generation to generation. Every person in here is made in God's image. and In all of our diversity, in all our differences, God has given us His image. And has given us that glory and that honor. But David was also aware of the next passage in Genesis, or as the story in Genesis goes on, when he says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. And then he describes them, because he wants um, the, the reader, the, the worshiper who's singing the song, to remember that, the sheep and the oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea are below us. <laughs> in the created order. He put us over everything else. Over the works of His hands. In verse 6. Kind of similar to the work of your fingers in verse 3. Here He says, He, he, has, given, um, he has given man dominion over the works of God. God's hands. So wait a minute. He created the heavens, the moon and the stars. He also created the sheep and the beasts and the birds and the fish. He created all of these things and then he said, I'm going to put man here in my image to have dominion over all of my creation. To... What would be the word, what would be a good word for that? Because dominion sounds pretty intimidating. In fact, there may be a negative connotation to that word, like to dominate. Um, Maybe we could take that to an extreme and say, well, we can do whatever we want. So let's just kill all of the Cecils out there, right? Let's just kill as many of the fish and the birds as we can. We can do whatever we want. We have dominion over them, right? Unfortunately, the, the implications of this word for the Hebrews and for the Israelites and for David was it, that God gave man charge of it, to take care of it. In fact, he goes on later in the story, in the, in the creation story in Genesis 2 to say, God put Adam in the garden, named all of the beasts, put them there, put them there to care for it. And to protect it. (laughs) So if we're going to have dominion over the works of God's hands, everything that He's created, it means we're going to care for it. We're going to be stewards of it. It's not ours. It belongs to God. And we are to care for it. Steward it. Look after it. That's what we must do. Over the sheep and the beasts and the birds and the fish. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, he says. Over all of God's creation. So why does, man, why does God think of man? Why is he mindful of him? Why does he remember him? Why does he care about humanity? Because he gave him this great identity. Gave him his image. And he gave him a mandate to care for his creation. To look out for it. problem is we don't do it the problem is we love our glory so much that we forget his majesty and when we do that it destroys the image within us and we reject his image within us and then the irony is it lessens the glory of mankind And turns everything upside down. We fail to image God correctly. We fail to be the proper stewards of God's creation. I'm not advocating that because human life is worth so much. That we can disregard the value of all other life. That we can just go ahead and slaughter the lions. Go ahead and slaughter the whales. Or go ahead and poach All of the eagles or the birds or whatever else. That's not proper steward either, right? That's not proper care for God's creation. But why are we having such a problem? Why can't we do this? Why can't we care for creation properly? Why can't we keep humanity in its proper perspective? Why is our value of human life so low? It's because of what happened in Genesis 3, (laughs) when Adam and Eve, who had everything they could ever want, decided, you know, maybe God's way of doing things isn't the best. Maybe if we could just, if if we could just elevate ourselves just a little bit higher. We don't like being a little bit lower than God. Why, you know, couldn't we just be right there equal with God so we can know what he knows, understand what he understands, have perfect knowledge of everything, have all of the answers for all of the problems? So they said, sure, let's eat the fruit. Sin came into the world. And now everything's turned upside down. And it was that way from the very beginning. Adam and Eve out of the garden. What happens to their sons? They go, Cain says, I don't really like the attention that my brother is getting from God. So if, I'll, if I get rid of him, then I guess my glory will be elevated. So death comes into the world. Murder comes into the world. Immorality comes into the world. Uh, a failure to properly care for creation comes into the world. Why can't we live the way we are living? It's not because we're not trying hard enough. It's not because we don't have the proper policies in place in our nation or in our world. It's not because we're not working for it. It's because we can't. We, in our sinfulness, can't do it. This passage, this passage gives us a clue to how we can get back right with God. Verse 4, What is man? I've been saying this whole time. Mankind, humanity. In fact, some of our translations Some of the translations you might read in English, in English translations may say, what is humankind that you are mindful of them and humanity that you care for them? But I think there's a reason why David said, man and son of man, and he used that, Third person, singular pronoun, him, him, him. You have made him a little lower. You crowned him with glory. You have given him dominion over your hands and have put all things under his feet. It's not because um, he was stuck on this kind of male-centered, masculine-centered worldview. It's because God in his sovereignty... um, Set up this language so as to prepare for the man. To prepare for the son of man. You could write this reference down if you want to. You don't have to turn to it right now, but I'm going to. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 where the writer of Hebrews, reflecting on the the glory of, not man in general, but the glory of the man, Jesus. The glory of Jesus. And how He was much greater than angels. How his, His revealing is much greater than the Old Testament Scripture revealing. That Jesus is greater than the priests that Jesus is greater than the temple that Jesus is greater than all of the heroes of the faith and in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5 he says for it was not to angels that god subjected the world to come of which we are speaking it wasn't he didn't give dominion to angels he says it has been testified somewhere what is man Somewhere, that's a good way to reference Old Testament scripture. He doesn't say, it. in Psalm 8 it says, but he says, it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angel. Slightly different translation. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, he goes on, he says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left... Nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Amen to that? The world is still upside down. We're still mourning Cecil and completely indifferent to the 53, 54, 55 million babies, a third of all the children who have been born in the United States since 1973 who are dead see we do not yet see everything under subjection to him do we the world is still upside down but he says but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels god himself lowering himself to be equal with humanity to come in the person what does he say namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might take death for everyone. So what is He saying? He's saying this psalm, the reason why we're jacked up, and the reason why our world is upside down, and our individual worlds and lives are upside down, I don't know about you, but mine feels upside down almost all the time. Every day I have to go, God, I'm really screwing this up. So what's wrong? Look to Jesus. Jesus. He came. He lived perfectly. He had honor, glory because of His death and His resurrection. And now He stands or sits at the right hand of God. Now, there's a reason for us to pursue Him, to pursue faith in Jesus, to pursue God's design for our lives. And now there is a way to do it. We're, we're so screwed up, we cannot live the way we are intending to live. We cannot just look at the world and say, let's make the world a better place. Let's fix our lives. Maybe if I bought enough self-help books, maybe if I went to enough conferences, maybe if I took enough classes, I could get this figured out. And the problem is that as, as helpful as many of those things are, we need the one who, who set the world in, into place. The one who, who, who established the heavens by the work of His fingers. The one who gave humanity dominion over the works of His own hands. The one who came down as Jesus To do what we failed to do. To live as God's perfect son. To fulfill his destiny. To complete his identity. As an image bearer. We are, we bear God's image. We bear God's image even if it is imperfectly. We exercise dominion. Over our lives, whether it's our little pet, <laughs> little pet strider, little nine-week-old puppy, or whether it's over a large, large responsibility of, you know, we got CEOs and we've got presidents and governors and, and we've got people who are responsible for whatever is going on in space and we act, we're going to exercise dominion, we're going to do it imperfectly. But Jesus came to do it perfectly. Right? He came to do it perfectly. He lived that perfect life. That passage we looked at earlier, Ephesians, that that Jeff read, is so, so important. Don't ever, don't ever read through those passages Whenever, whenever, whenever the Apostle is writing about Jesus, and whenever he's talking about God, and he's talking about how he's higher, or he's the head, or he's this or that, stop. Slow down. Pay attention to that. Meditate on that. Because that is the all-important truth. Jesus is the head. Jesus has dominion. Jesus has glory and honor. Everything has been placed under His feet. And if that is true, and if we seek Him, and if by faith we come to Jesus and come to know God as our Father, then we, we can actually bear God's image through Christ. We can actually exercise stewardship over our own lives, the lives of our children and, our, and our, our responsibilities and our finances and our jobs and animals and you name it. We can do that only through faith in Christ. How should we live? How should we respond to this? I, I want to encourage us, number one, to evaluate what we're worshiping. Because when we lose the majesty of God, when we fail to give Him the worship that's due Him, we will elevate humanity in His place or something else in His place. We may get so mixed up that, and so upside down that we start to elevate our things. We, we'll start to elevate our pets. Our, our pets. We will start to elevate our work. We will start to elevate our recreation or our our children's activities or school or make a list. Let's get worship right. Let's get, oh Lord, our Lord, O Yahweh, our Master, Adonai how majestic is your name in all the earth? He starts his psalm that way. He ends his psalm that way to remind us it starts with worship. Worship of the one God. And then as we do that, and we reflect on the image bearing that he placed on us, the responsibility we have to bear his image in this world, the responsibility that we have to to. Steward his creation. Let us look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Have our faith firmly in him. And if our faith is not firmly in him, it needs to be. And that's the call. Put your faith in the son of man. The one who lived the way we should have lived for us. Out of the mouth of babies and infants You have established strength because of your foes. Praise Jesus that because of His lowering Himself, because of Him taking on humanity on Himself, human flesh, becoming a man, becoming weak, that He has conquered the enemy. Amen? Let's look to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word. Thank you for speaking to me. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me for looking every other place except to you. Well, forgive me for that. Forgive me for my unbelief. God, give me mercy. Give me grace. God, I pray that that through your, the power of your Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus in my life, that when people look to me. They'll not just see a messed up man who's who fails every day. But they'll see a man who is desperate for you and lives um, every day by your power. The power of your son jesus who every day puts his faith in you and lord when when people look at the river church lord i pray that they will see that this church makes a big deal about jesus that this church loves you and loves your glory more than its own that no matter what you do no matter what happens to us, no matter what the outcome of Moxie Hop Festival or our summer children's program or anything else that we endeavor to do, that the world will look on us and see they make a big deal about Jesus. They love Jesus. They're desperate for Jesus. They're totally dependent on Jesus. They live by grace through faith alone. Father, may that be true for us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. um, We're going to go into a time of response as we usually do. And um, so I want to invite you to stand and we're going to sing. Um, we don't have the words on the, on the screen, but it's a song that we've sung before um, a few times. And maybe you don't even need to sing it. Maybe you just need to listen and um, reflect. Or maybe God is saying something very specific to you. Um, the time of response is not just, just a little exercise at the end of the, the service, the gathering that we do to just close things out. Um, the, the stepping forward and coming forward um, to share a, a decision or to ask for prayer is, is not just for like, you know, the broken people. Or it's not just for the, the super spiritual people. It's, it's for everyone. And um, you're invited to come forward if there's a decision you need to make. I'm, I'm going to stand right over here at the, to the side and, and we're going to sing together and respond. Stand with me.